in Proverbs tonight, we're going to go through and talk about one principle. It's found in the sixth chapter and verse 16. So if you'll turn with me to that. Actually, there's a list of things that begins in verse 16. Last time we talked about wisdom. What are some of the ingredients of wisdom? And remember the fear of the Lord and other things and honoring God as God and those things going to wisdom. There are other things that make up wisdom, one of which is the principle that we'll be talking about tonight. Proverbs 6.16 reads this way. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among the brothers. And I've listed those on an overhead for you, those seven things that God hates, the first of which is called a proud look, or a haughty look, as another translation puts it. And I was interested in why God hates these seven things. Why is it that, that God would look at these things and just despise them? And I think it's because they are just the opposite of his character. And if we're going to be wise, we have to know what God's character is and how he responds and why he responds to these things. What is being referred to here is more than just a look, an expression of the face, but it's an attitude of the heart, an attitude of pride, the temperament of pride. And pride is really at the seat of all disobedience. And we want to look at that principle tonight. We would have to look at some verses in Proverbs. I don't know if this slide is going to cooperate with me. It might slide right off the page. We'll see here. That which you cannot see just simply says pride in Proverbs. And then there are some references. This is not an exhaustive list, but it does give you an, an idea of how the book of Proverbs deals with this subject. We want to look at it from several ways tonight because pride is devastating. Pride is a killer. Pride is something God hates, and we want to take a very close look at it. Proverbs 8.13, wisdom hates pride. This is sort of a condensed version of what that scripture really says, but if we're going to be wise, then we're going to hate what pride really is. Proverbs 11.2 said, pride brings shame. If there's pride in your life, you can know that there's going to be shame coming. Shame upon your life, shame upon your reputation. It's the disfavor of God that you can expect. Proverbs 13.10, only pride, only by pride comes destruction. We'll talk about that and enlarge that from Scripture in just a bit. But destruction to a human life has as its source the attitude of pride. Proverbs 14.3 In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. The word rod here is the same one we have in Isaiah where it says that, that Jesus is a, a tree out of the root of Jesse or a branch that's coming out. What it's really saying there, in the mouth of the foolish, if a person is talking foolishly, that stems, that comes out of a disposition of pride. And so when you see in Proverbs all the references to a fool, it has at its root pride. When someone ex expresses foolish talking and, and uh, 
foolish gestures, many times it's coming out of a root of pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride precedes destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What that verse tells me is that when there's pride in our life, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall as a result of my own pride. I'll never just walk through life and start with pride and end with pride. Somewhere along the way, I'm going to fall and fall very, very hard. The reason is, Proverbs says that that's true, that pride precedes destruction and a haughty spirit precedes a fall. Another reference is Proverbs 29:23. Pride brings one low. The same kind of spirit that is spread out through these other references is demonstrated in 29:23 and the last one I've listed is Proverbs 16:5. And I put this verse down because it sort of sums up all that the rest say. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Actually, what happens in a disposition of pride, if pride is in our life, we actually experience the punishment of the Lord. To show you how that works, we look into the New Testament and begin to see references like this. For out of the heart, Jesus said, precedes pride. Out of the human disposition comes pride, and it leads to destruction. 1 Timothy 3.6 says a bishop must not be a new convert, and this is the reason, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall under condemnation of the devil. It shows that in the life of a Christian, there's still that dealing with the attitude of pride. A new convert could not be a bishop, as Paul gave them direction, because pride was such a tendency in their lives. And 1 John 2.16 says, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is of the world. Actually, if you went through the entire Bible and tried to find a good reference, just any good reference to the word pride, you wouldn't, you'd be empty-handed at the end. The Bible really doesn't have any good things to say about this attitude and disposition because it's so much unlike God. And 1 Peter 5.5 5 states it this way, God resists the proud. That verse caught my attention. That was one of the first ones I memorized, oh, about probably 12 or 15 years ago now. And the thing I remember coming to is after I memorized that verse, I, re I just, as a Christian, I thought, every time I experience resistance in my life, it's not the devil. If there's pride in my heart as a Christian, it could be God. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So let's take a look at some of the examples of pride. As I said earlier, pride is the seat of all disobedience. If we went back to the very beginning, and we usually like to trace things right back to the evil one, Satan himself, and scholars would tell us that Isaiah 14, 14 refers to Satan. I know it has other implications, but also under the root is, is Satan himself underneath the surface. And his sin in heaven before he was cast out was this, I will be like God. And that's pride. That's what caused him to fall as an angel and to be cast out of heaven. He took that and he presented it to Eve. And it's, that's recorded in Genesis 3, 5. And he went, and you know the cunning way that he got to Eve in the temptation. But in it, he said this, 
you shall be as God and know good and evil. And Eve's response to that was, well, that's not some bad idea to be like God and to be as God, knowing good and evil. And it was that desire to be like God and to be as God, that attitude of pride that led to her downfall and then Adam. Then we could go right on through. The list could just go on and on and on. But one more we could add there in Genesis, the fourth chapter, Cain. You remember that that Abel came with a sacrifice and Cain came with a sacrifice. But Cain eventually ended up killing his brother. Why? Because Cain's sacrifice was not accepted by God. You see, he had his own way of doing it. God required a blood sacrifice. Cain came with a different kind. And he was simply laying that sacrifice before God and said, well, this is the best I've got, but it wasn't what God said. Cain thought he knew a little bit more than God. And so when God refused the sacrifice, he could have said, oh God, I'm sorry. I've disobeyed your commandment. I need to go now and make the kind of sacrifice that you said. But pride kept him from it. And so pride welled up in his heart and he refused to repent. And then out of pride came jealousy. And he became jealous that his brother was accepted before God and he was not. And so out of that came murder. And that whole sin, that whole chain of events goes right back to pride. And like I said, that list could be exhaustive because all disobedience has its roots in pride. Let's take a look at just a graphic display now of how pride works. I want to contrast it with something. Remember in 1 Peter it said that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble? Why is that? Why is it that God resists the proud for this reason? You have God's response to both of those attitudes, and it leads to this. The inner result, if you ask any Christian, would you want more of God's grace in your life? And they'd say, yes. That's what I want, God's grace on my life. I need God's grace. We only get it through an attitude of humility, not through an attitude of pride. Because if we have pride, God resists us. And then when we have the resistance of God and not grace, then, then we're left with our own with our own responses. And what was it Jesus said? Out of the heart comes pride. Out of the heart comes bitterness and anger and jealousy. In fact, we could go on and just list the lust of the flesh. But when, we're, when we have an attitude of humility, out of grace comes forgiveness and wisdom and love and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. That is the contrast that happens between pride and humility. If we wanted to list some other references here, we'd find out that humility can be best demonstrated by Jesus himself. I have one, one reference listed right here in Matthew eleven twenty nine. I am gentle and humble of heart. Jesus claimed humility. He claimed to be that kind of a person, not one of pride. Remember Proverbs 13 said, only by pride comes destruction. Pride always brings destruction, but humility can best be demonstrated by Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And listen to what it says, and this is the attitude that will guard against pride in our lives. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus knew that he had potential. 
He knew that he was somebody. He knew all of these things, but what did he do? And taking the form of a bond servant, a love slave, and being in the likeness of man, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even to the point of death, even to death on a cross. That's one of the most graphic illustrations in Scripture of how Jesus came in voluntary submission. Pride has in its, at, at the very heart of the word pride is your relationship and your response to Almighty God. If you are in any way trying to call the shots or trying to be somebody or trying to impress somebody, then there's pride in your life. Jesus came and he had all the qualities that anybody would really desire and want, but what did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient. And if that's our attitude before God, here's what we can experience. We can experience his grace. For God gives grace to the humble. And Jesus experienced that kind of grace before God. So humility and pride are contrasts, and also gratefulness and pride are contrasts. There's two or three ways we want to look at the word pride. One is the opposite is humility. The second is that the opposite is gratefulness. Pride says, I have what I have because of my own efforts. And gratefulness says, I have what I have because God has entrusted it to me. Now let me give you some examples of some things that I've worked with that's really helped me in my relationship to God and my whole attitude regarding pride. Remember, if we want to be wise, we'll have to learn to hate pride. I used to say, I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of the place that I work. When I was in school, I was proud of my school. And I'm proud of my church. And we use this word pride. It's part of our vocabulary. But what are we really saying? What is behind that attitude? Remember I said that I preached with uh, a number of men that were in my youth group. There were about five of those young men that were called to preach. Sunday morning, when I got up to share the word with that congregation, I was faced with trying, I wanted to express myself. And what I wanted to say was, boy, I, it sure makes me proud to be up here with these guys. But that's fine, and I know what I'd be trying to communicate, but here's what came out. Here's what God has sort of taught me in the process. In be, on being, uh, on the platform with these men this morning fills my heart with great joy. Which it did. Because I realized that God had allowed me to have a small part in their lives. Now who's getting the glory? Me or God? I'm proud to be on the platform with these guys. Or to be on this platform fills my heart with great joy. Because I realize that God has given me the privilege of being a part of their lives for a short time. Another thing I used to say was, I sure am proud of my kids. And I know what, you know, I'm, I know you know what I'm trying to say. But I've, for my own sake, I've changed my vocabulary. And I've said it this way. Well, let me just give you an example that happened last week. My, we had our first teachers conference. Our kids are in kindergarten, our twins, and so our first teachers conference. Didn't even know what they were like until last week. 
And of course, you know, there was no good things to say about our kids, or no bad things to say about our kids, no. It was a good report. There are some things that we are learning, you know, as kids go to school and make all the adjustments and all that. But I wanted to go and relay that good report back to my children because I thought that was important. Now, I could have said, well, I sure am proud of you two. And they would have probably known what I meant. But I think there's a better way to do it. And so I said, I talked with your teacher today. And what they told me about what you're doing made me happy. Boy, was I happy to hear that. Because your teacher said that you're both doing a great job. Now, why did I say that? Because Proverbs tells me that the desire of the children is after their father. And they will delight in what makes me happy. And it did. It really made me happy. And if I phrase that and say, I'm proud of what you're doing, it's like I'm taking all the credit. Or if I'm proud of my church, I said something to the ladies' discipleship class last Thursday that God revealed something to me on the way home. I have a tremendous... That's the first time I've ever been in charge of a group of ladies. It is a different experience. But it's very pleasant. And I'm enjoying it. I'm finding discussion comes very easy in a group of ladies. But that's good. That's good for all of us. Let me back up just one more step and say that a few weeks ago in the other discipleship class, Gary Heller asked us a question that went right to the heart of where I live. He said, describe your attitude before you became a Christian and now describe your attitude after you became a Christian. Well, I very quickly God began to bring some things to mind and I said, before I was a Christian, I wanted to impress people with three things. With status, with money and things, and with ability. Then all of a sudden, God seemed to say to me, have all those three left your life? And I began to take a big gulp and say, God, I've still got to work on those. And so on the way home from this last revival, driving in the car all by myself and just wanting to rejoice in all that happened, and I did, but God moved in and began to speak to me. And I didn't do anything publicly, you know, in front of the church and tried to say, try to compare their church with our church and that kind of thing, but privately with my own family, out of the disguise that I'm so excited about what's happening here, and I am. But I said some things that were just probably not too wise. I began to make little comparisons about what's happening here and what's happening there. Well, they have a church of about 150, see? And naturally, they're not experiencing everything over there that we're experiencing here. And when I left that conversation, I thought, wouldn't there have been a better way to handle that whole thing? Am, am I trying to impress them with my status in a subtle way? Or am I purely excited about what's happening at First Church? And then I began to honestly say both. I am to, to the marrow of my bone excited about what's happening here, but I'm also, I guess I'd have to honestly admit, yeah, I want to still let my family know that I'm important. And I have to come to grips with that attitude of pride in my life. And that's a very, very subtle approach. That's not trying to take the place of God. But you can see that even in the heart of a Christian, we have to be concerned 
about this attitude. And so I just asked God to help me. I asked God for to me to be excited, just, just as excited about what's happening there when I talk to them as I am about what is happening here. And never to leave the impression that somehow that I'm more important because I'm here instead of there. Because I don't want to do that. And I didn't do it on purpose. But that's something that God is revealing and helping me with. And I hope that honesty doesn't destroy any of your confidence in me. Because I have the same, I have the feeling that maybe some of the rest of you might be right at the same place. Pride always fails to give God the credit or the glory. And isn't it interesting that the scripture says, let nothing be done through vain glory. You know what vain glory is? That's yourself. Whenever you draw glory to yourself, that's vain. But the scripture does things, does say, in all things give thanks. Now, I want to submit to you that pride and gratefulness are, are opposites. That if I'm drawing glory to myself, it's an attitude of pride. But if in all things I'm giving thanks, I'm giving glory to God. Wouldn't it be better to say about my church, let's say I'm, in quotes, proud of my choir. How can I express that to people? Wouldn't it be better to say, I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to be in this church, the same church where that choir is singing, because I enjoy their ministry so much, and I thank the Lord for it. Now that's giving glory where glory is due. And other people won't be offended by our conversation and won't detect this proud look or this proud attitude. Wouldn't it be great, better for me to say, instead of I'm proud of my kids, to say, I'm sure grateful. Grateful that God has entrusted these lives to me. I'm glad that I have that responsibility under God. And you don't always have to use the word God, but it has to be there in attitude. And I'm not trying to be picky on your conversation or on your English language, but I will say this, that as you speak, it has a subtle influence on what you're believing. And the attitude of pride is the, is the enemy of a grateful spirit, which God says is highly to be praised and highly to be valued. I guess in summary, I would say that pride is really a killer. Pride is a killer because it kills our self-worth. I believe that. I believe that pride kills my self-worth because I begin to take credit for things that God has done. Pride takes credit for one's appearance, one's talents, one's ability, one's accomplishment, and pride takes all the glory. And that will kill my self-worth. Why? Because we only love ourselves properly when we see ourselves as a creation of God. And we only find true self-worth when we find our identity as his children. Then we give him the credit for all that we are and all that we have. All that we have, we're stewards of because God has entrusted to it. All we are, we are because of his creation and planting certain abilities in us. And I know there's a delicate balance. I remember that story, you've heard it about a preacher who went out to see this old farmer and he was looking through the cornfield and he says, what a tremendous stand of corn. And the farmer said, yep. He went over to the bean field and he was farmer was showing him all that and he said, my, I've never seen such a crop. Not a weed in the whole field. The farmer says, yep. He went by the barn and there was all the beef cattle out in the lot 
And they were just getting ready for getting ready for market, and the preacher looked at him and he said, I can't believe that. Everything that I've looked at is just, boy, God has really blessed you. And he said, Yep. And the old preacher said, You are you ought to really be thankful to God for all that you have. And the farmer said, The preacher, you used to have seen this place when when God had it all by himself. Now I know. I know that there's a balance because there are things that we have to do. There are things that we have to do. And yet, in our attitude, we can't well up with pride with those things because it is God who gives us the abilities and who gives us the talent. We have to use them. But the credit and the glory and the honor needs to go back to God. Remember what Jesus did? He humbled himself and became obedient. Made of himself no reputation when he was found in the likeness of man. Pride will destroy your self-worth. Pride takes the credit and says, I am what I am by my own efforts. And that attitude is resisted of God, by God himself, and self-worth is destroyed because before pride comes destruction. Pride also kills our potential. God knows the way that he's made you, and he knows how he wants you to be. He will stop at nothing to see that you have the best in your life. And pride opens us up for Satan. It destroys our potential. Let me give you an example, again, from my own life. Last time I did this thing on Proverbs, it was probably the most well-received thing that I've ever done here at First Church. I mean, people who never say anything about a sermon or anything were coming up and saying, that was tremendous. Boy, you did a great job. Another person came up and said, that should have been started years ago. Another person came up and said, that's what we need. Another person came up and said, boy, you have such a way of expressing that. Well, by the time I left this church, I thought, no wonder this church is growing. I'm here. <laughs> now, I overemphasize that. But if we're not careful, we begin to take the credit, don't we? As if I'm a little smarter than somebody else to get into the book of Proverbs. I'm not. I believe I wouldn't even be doing this today if it hadn't been for people like Reverend Griffin encouraging me and you people praying for me, sharing ministries together. I can't let that pride well up in my heart. That's something I have to just take it back to the Lord. And I say, God, if anybody saw anything in that, thank you for showing them. Thank you for giving me just the words to say or the Holy Spirit blessing those words so that they understood what was said. The hardest thing in the world to do is communicate. I think I shared that with my Sunday school class and then the next week I was gone. And, and uh, Gary Heller taught the class. Dave Lynn was in the class. Dave came up to him after class and said, Gary, this has been the best Sunday school class I've ever attended, and I'm praying for you. <laughs> because he, he knew that Gary would all of a sudden be struggling with this thing because of a genuine compliment. And some of the times I would almost prefer people say, the Lord really helped me by what you said. God used what you said and touched my heart. That, that helps me because that keeps me in my place. And if, if you don't have that choice of word, that's all right. I, 
I'll have to work through it. You know, and that'll... And I'm not asking for compliments and I'm not asking for them to stop. <laughs> but we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Do you know where wars come from and arguments? These two could really be tied together. James 4 says it this way. Where, do, where does wars and strife come from? And then it just kind of rests and goes into verse 2. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. There's where wars. You are envious and you cannot obtain because you fight and quarrel. You do not, you have not because you ask not. Why don't we ask? Pride. We're too proud to ask. Any two countries that go to war, they're too proud to sit down and talk about it. We have our pride at stake. We could talk about some specific countries right now that if I just talked about an area of the world, you could identify pride right away. Where do wars come from? Ever have an argument with anybody? Has there been anybody other than me that's ever had a, an argument in their home or in their family? Where does that come from? Boy, I have to gulp. Swallow hard and say, pride. And if that argument continues, why? Pride. It's hard to admit, but God will resist that and you will always have that little contention until you, what? Humble yourself and say to the other person or say to God or say to both, I'm sorry. Why? And then you know what happens? Forgiveness and love. Because that's where grace comes in. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And pride also limits our spiritual growth and our spiritual power. I remember what Jane Leonard said because it was so much the truth. After the Crusaders retreat, through tears of blessing and through tears of joy, she testified on what God did in her heart that evening and in that weekend. And yet she said, I hope we never get to the place where we think that we're just a little better than the other church. Or we've got something a little more special than somebody else. And it really is kind of our own thing. Because if we do, we'll destroy ourselves. You know why? Because we cannot take credit for that. That's in God's hands. One of the most encouraging things happened tonight because I think we had probably more than 50 in that little prayer group at 5.30. You know what that little prayer group was doing? Literally getting on their knees. And by doing that, they were humbling themselves before God and saying, God, we need you if this church is going to continue to be all that you want it to be. And with that kind of an attitude, and only with that kind of an attitude, we will experience His grace and His blessing. Because God will continue to resist the proud, but He will give grace to the humble. Pride will limit your relationship with God. In fact, you cannot even have a relationship with God. You won't even be a Christian at all because of pride. That's why a lot of people don't come to Christ. They have to come and they have to get down before the Lord, if not on their knees, at least in attitude, and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you. But pride sometimes just keeps them from it. Just pride. But God resists the proud, 
And then that pride just continues to carry on and to grow and to grow. And even as a Christian, even as a Christian, we experience that there's these attitudes of pride that can come in. Remember what was said that a, by the Apostle Paul that a person couldn't be a bishop, especially if they were a young Christian, because they're so susceptible to the word pride. And we must continually keep ourselves in submission to God and to the Holy Spirit. We started last week and we said, we want to talk to you about wisdom. We're to prize wisdom. We're to search for wisdom. We're to find her at every corner. And yet, our understanding of those things that God hates is where wisdom begins. We have to love what God loves and we have to hate what God hates. And God hates pride. God wants us to love ourselves as His children. He wants us to feel good about ourselves. It's not like we can't do anything. He wants us to believe that I can do all things through Christ. And that's where the proper perspective comes in. And you can have confidence in yourself. You can genuinely love other people and you can experience the grace of God on your lives when you, when you hate what God hates and love what God loves. I want you to stand with me, please, tonight. And I know this hasn't been an evangelistic service tonight, but I felt like God wanted me to talk about this one basic attitude. There might be someone here tonight who has let this one thing stand between you and God. It might have stood between your relationship with God and being saved. Just being, just, and maybe tonight God has revealed that the thing that you never come to grips with is your own pride. There could be someone who is saved and has dealt with it as far as who is God and who their Savior is, but maybe hasn't come to grips with who is going to be Lord of all. And maybe pride over one thing or another thing or something else has stood in your way. If God has somehow used what is said tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Come and pray about it and to make that area right with the Lord. We're not going to judge you. Like I shared with you tonight, there are still things I'm working on, areas of pride that I'm struggling with. But if there's something specific that God says that needs to be taken care of now, then I want to give you an opportunity to pray.